Network. A president leaves 300,000 guns on the ground to be picked up by the Taliban and then lectures us on the responsibility of gun ownership? Of course, this is the same man signing bills into law denying the biology of sex, confusing the right to decide which bathroom to use, stating anyone who doesn't agree is a terrorist and should be red flagged into oblivion? Clearly someone needs a good strong shot of the truth. Good thing we're here. We're TNN. The Truth News. Network. And here's Dan Newman. Good morning, everybody. I hope you had an amazing weekend. Getting close to the end of August, kids going back to school, moms and dads, squeeze your babies. Love on them. Tell them how much you love them because they're about to go face some things that are going to be pretty tough on them. And uh, I'll, I'll just be completely honest with you. i got a guy on the phone I want to talk to in just a second, and uh, I'm going to segue with this. I'm pretty sure that our children face a few more difficult things than we faced when we were at elementary school. How about you, Congressman Johnson? Dan, it's great to hear your voice, my friend, and you're exactly right. You know, um, you and I have talked about this before, but my wife and I started a podcast earlier this year because we're so burdened by some of the issues that we're facing. It's called Truth Be Told with Mike and Kelly Johnson. It's on all platforms. The only reason I'm plugging that this morning is because it's right in line with what you just mentioned. We're doing a a two or three episode series right now on parenting uh, in a countercultural way and a culture gone awry. And you're exactly right. I mean, if you look at the statistics and the prevailing winds and the culture, whether it's with curriculum or peer pressure or all the madness that our children are exposed to online, they are facing things that we could not have imagined even you know in our generation or certainly the one before so it's it's a it's a very difficult time a challenging time to be raising children but by god's grace we'll all do it and where is the podcast uh it's truth be told by uh with mike and kelly johnson it's on all platforms we uh you know whatever wherever you get your podcast you can find it you just you just search for Mike and Kelly Johnson and you'll, it'll come up. We also have it on our website. You can go to MikeAndKellyJohnson.com. We try to make it easy. And is it weekly? Weekly podcast. We usually uh, launch new episodes on Wednesday mornings. At least that's our, our goal. Sure. <laughs> so with our travel schedule and all that, it's tough sometimes. But, you know, it's been a lot of fun. We've gotten a, a, a big audience nationwide. We were ranked in the top 5% of podcasts just by our third week of uh, after launch. So it's it's found an audience, and we're really grateful for that. Very, very good product, uh, produced show, too. You guys do a great job. Hey, listen, oh, thanks, let's just segue right into the meat of the matter. We've got an election coming up in a few weeks, and things seem to change. We hear one thing today, the Republicans are doing a great job. Next day we hear Republicans are in the corner. What's the truth of what we're facing in in uh, November? It's a great question, and that is the big issue of the day, and, and I get asked this everywhere I go. Um, you know, it, it, the polling we've learned in recent years is not always reliable, right? Um, my gut tells me that what we've been expecting and projecting is going to happen, that we're not just going to have a red wave election, we're going to have a red tsunami election, but um, it's a volatile time in politics, and anything can happen. And so what I've been trying to encourage people who are so deeply concerned about the condition of things in our country right now, I mean, inflation is soaring, gas prices are out of control, crime is rampant, America is weakened on the world stage, the border's wide open. I mean, we could talk about crises after crises, you know, all day long, of course, and, and you and I both do. But we have to keep our eye on the ball, not be distracted, 
and and make sure that all conscientious patriots and citizens who care about this future of this country and want to turn this thing around that they get engaged like never before and if that happens i do believe we'll be able to retake control of both houses of the congress and that'll be essential to begin to turn it around and of course that'll set it up for the faithful presidential election for 24 but important faithful days ahead for sure we've been very careful cautious here not to tout the big uh, margin in most of the elections because we desperately need to win back both houses if not both at least get the house of representatives sometimes people get complacent but we've got so many election issues it just seems to me like everybody's got to go to the polls and vote your heart vote what you think and feel in your heart because we can't we just can't let this one get away from us if we do we may never get it back no i I think that is exactly right and you and I speak in those terms, and people accuse us sometimes of engaging in hyperbole, but I mean, we, we, we can see this. The evidence is there, and by any objective measure, this, this may be the highest stakes election cycle these next couple of years that we've ever faced as a country, because what you and I have also talked about many times is that this, you know, this is not your, your, your father's or your grandfather's Democrat Party. Okay? There is a wide, wide chasm between the two uh, major parties in this country, the Republicans and, and the Democrats. It's not, you know, if you rewind 30 years ago, 40 years ago, there wasn't a whole lot of difference between the two platforms and what they would were about. Um, but now, of course, it's completely opposed visions for who we are as a nation, where we're headed. And, and when you go into that ballot box and you go to the ballot box, you're making a decision about which vision you want for the country one the one that we're for i'm you know i'm one of the the leaders of the republican party in the house we stand for individual freedom and limited government and the rule of law and peace through strength and fiscal responsibility and free markets and human dignity the sanctity of every single human life you know what the other team stands for the opposite of all that therefore a european style socialist utopian vision which we all know is folly and and those things are diametrically opposed. There's a wide chasm between the two, and you have you do not have the luxury of not being engaged in this election cycle if you care about this country and its future. So, you brought up the subject of division and big rifts there. We got a segue. I got to get your thoughts on your fellow former leader in the Republican Party in the House, Liz Cheney, and what happened mm-hmm. up there. But more than that, what happened in Wyoming is a big deal because she lost by almost 40 points in her primary. But she's out there and was all over the uh, television networks over the weekend talking about the evil part of the Republican Party. What's that all about? Uh, You know, (laughs) it is so heartbreaking for me to watch this. Liz Cheney and I came in together in the same uh, freshman class. We both uh, were elected in 2016. And um, for a time before she, uh, you know, took the, the, the road that she did, she was the the chairwoman, the chairperson of the House Republican Conference, and I was the vice chairman. And so we worked together. Um, and, and then, you know, sometime right after the election in November 2020, she just kind of went went off on her own and, I mean, decided that she would be the, the number one antagonist of Donald Trump and, and, and you know, would be his, uh, you know, principal political foe. And it's just it's just crazy to me, you know. And, and every step she's taken further and further down that dark road uh, – obviously has not served her well not served the country well and and i you know the liz cheney that i saw in the interviews this weekend is not the person that i knew just a few years ago and so it's just it's just 
been very puzzling to us. I have no idea what she thinks. She 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 she's she's um, hinting that she may run for president. I mean, who is Liz Cheney's base? I mean, give me a break. It would, as as Newt Gingrich said on on uh, Fox News this morning, bring it on. You know, I mean, I think a lot of people would probably enjoy that. Everybody that hates that hates Trump or Democrats. So, uh, she, right, she's right. not going to go down that road. I don't think. Maybe she should because they don't have anybody else to put up. Well, maybe, and and you know, she she tried that in her in her house race and in, yeah. in in her home state and. Yeah. I mean, they, they were actually openly appealing to Democrats to please help her because in that state you can do it. Um, you can vote across party lines. And um, still, even with all those efforts and all the money she raised and spent in her race, she was defeated soundly, as you saw. And I, I think it was a repudiation of the style of politics that she's advancing right now. So it's, it's just a really sad development. You know, I, <laughs> I can't make heads or tails of it. On another topic. You being a um, a Republican, but you're very close to former President Trump. You were one of his confidants uh, in his four years there. Your thoughts on the DOJ versus Donald Trump in this Mar-a-Lago situation we're trying to unwind? Well, right. I mean, this is a huge, huge issue. And I was one of his confidants, but also one of his uh lawyers, you know, helped defend him twice yes. against the uh, yes. crazy impeachment scandal stuff. Uh, which was all just a hoax. Uh, but listen, this this is a big, big deal. This raid on Mar-a-Lago, I mean, it looks on its face, and I believe that the, the evidence ultimately is going to bear this out, to just be another just it, unprecedented abuse of power by the Biden Merrick Garland Department of Justice. And and look, this is the latest, and perhaps the maybe the most egregious, in this long-established pattern of abuses that they've been engaged in. And, and, you know, we've been sounding the alarm over this ever since President Biden and Merrick Garland assumed control because they weaponized the DOJ. And that is a big word, and you hear it thrown around right now, but that is exactly what has happened. They, they aimed the FBI at parents who were concerned about curriculum at, at their children's schools, going to school board meetings. They sued red states for their pro-life laws and their election integrity measures that they were trying to pass, these statutes in all these states. They, they, they have just done... Over and over and over, they have shown that they're a, a partisan arm of the Democrat Party, and and now they can add raiding the homes of political opponents to that distressingly long list. It 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 is really egregious. It is very dangerous in a constitutional republic, and we cannot wait to bring some accountability as soon as we get control in the House again. Okay, we get control in the House. You guys have oversight, and you will be on the Judiciary Committee, I'm sure. Um, yes. What can be done? Americans, I'm getting texts and emails and phone calls. People are scared to death of the weaponization of the government. And it didn't just start happening in this administration. We saw it happen during Trump's four years, which meant that it had to be being built prior to that during the eight years of Barack Obama and Joe Biden. What can voters feel confident is going to be the key that we need to get aboard to do what? to get these people out of, not, I'm not talking about elected people now. I'm talking about the bureaucrats at the top of the DOJ and the FBI. What can we do? Great question. Let, let me give a little foundation for the answer I'm going to provide you first, the reason for all this. Why is this so urgent? Because in a constitutional republic, remember, we're still an experiment on the world stage. We're only 246 years old as a country. That's what we, the birthday we had on July 4th. We don't know how long a system of government like ours can last, but there's a few things that are that are absolutely essential to maintain a government like ours. And one is 
uh, obviously the separation of powers, the checks and balances between the branches of government, and that's where the accountability comes in. But also, you have the people have to have a belief, Dan, in the fairness of the system itself. They have to believe, for example, that the justice system is fair and impartial. That's why Lady Justice is depicted always with a blindfold, because justice is supposed to be blind. It's 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 chiseled into the marble above the front doors of the United States Supreme Court, equal justice under law. If the people in a constitutional republic begin to doubt that that is true, then you have chaos, because people want to then begin to, to, to you know resolve their disputes in the streets. They don't feel like they can trust the system. They feel like there's two standards of justice, one for the rich and powerful, one for everybody else. And and that is what is at issue. So that means we must, we must ensure, restore order and accountability to to ensure the people that this system can still be trusted. And we are we are hanging by a thread right now. And you and I both know it. We feel the country's like a tinderbox right now, largely because of the actions of these out of control Democrats who are in charge. So when we get the majority back, in January, in the November election, we, the new Congress will begin in January. The gavels will change hands in our House Judiciary Committee, which does have jurisdiction over all this. Jim Jordan will be the chairman. I'll be the chairman of the Constitution Subcommittee in, in Judiciary. And he and I and our colleagues are already working. Dan, we have sent a barrage of letters to uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland and to all the uh, subdivisions of the DOJ. We sent them preservation of record notices. We told them to get ready because the inquest will begin. Um, that's all we can do right now because the minority party does not have the ability or the number of votes sufficient to issue subpoenas yet. But that's going to change in January. So they're on notice now. They have to do that. They'll have to participate. They'll have to come in under oath. And if we have to set up select committees to do this in an efficient, effective way, that's what's going to happen. So you will begin to see accountability in by mid-January of next year. And, and by God's grace, only will we hold on until then. Americans aren't confident in this government, and every day it seems like uh, the support that Americans have always felt for the government, standing up for the rule of law, standing up for the flag, all of the things that represent this being the greatest representative republic that's ever existed on earth, we see that dwindling away. And um, you're Christian, and I want to ask you this, and and I'm going to respect your time. You, uh, you're, you're very kind to spend the time with us, especially on Monday morning. I know it's a big day. But what can people do to kind of shake away some of the fear that seems to permeate everything? Because the things that we've all held that were factual and never going to change here, they're being taken away and not in kind of surreptitious fashion. They're doing it right in the faces of the American people. Fear is everywhere. Well, it is, and um, it's funny. We uh, Friday evening, Kelly and I had dinner with a group of friends that we had not caught up with in some time. I happened to be in town, and uh, it, the, the comment at the table was, "Wow, Mike and Kelly, you guys actually seem so calm. We hadn't talked to you in a long time, and we we thought that you know that your hair would be on fire. There's so, so much alarm, and so many so many terrible things going on, and we see you on social media raising the alarms every day. But you know, here this evening at dinner, you you seem rather calm, and Kelly and I looked at one another and kind of laughed a little, and, and we said, you know what, guys, there, there's there's this one famous saying that John Quincy Adams said that gives us great solace, and he said, duty is ours, results are God's. You know, they called John Quincy Adams the hellhound of slavery because he brought the bill to end it over and over and over and over. He knew ultimately that good would prevail, and we believe the same. I mean, look, I'm an optimist in the in the the 
the mold of Ronald Reagan. I believe that America's best days are ahead of us. I believe that God is not done with America yet. And these are dark times. There's no question about it. But I have faith in the American people. And, they, and, and, and when I'm out traveling around the country and all over our state of Louisiana, I hear it from them. They, they know that America is the greatest nation. They want to preserve it, and they're sick of what they're seeing right now. So I, that gives me great hope, Dan. And I, I believe at the end of the day, you know, you and I both know God is sovereign, and he is still in control. And there is no better alternative to the United States of America. There's a reason we're the, the greatest, most powerful, most successful nation in the history of the world because we were founded upon eternal truth. And I think at the end of the day, that's going to prevail. The pendulum's going to swing back, and we just have to hold on and, uh, and, and keep fighting. And I, I think that, uh, that the results will be good in the long run. Congressman, thank you so much for your friendship. Thank you for being such a great servant for the people of the 4th Congressional District and also in the nation. I know you work your rear end off up there in a lot of different areas. And uh, it's it's a hard life. And thank you for making that sacrifice. And thank you for being a friend. I really like that. Well, grateful to you, my friend. And your voice is so important right now. So keep up what you do. We'll connect more often here in the weeks ahead. Great. We need you back before the midterms to give us an update. Yes, sir. We'll do it. Thank you, sir. You got it. Take care. Congressman Mike Johnson, 4th Congressional District in Louisiana. Great words, kind of clarifying a lot of things that I don't know if you had questions about, but we here at Truth News Network, TNN Live did. Got a big show today. A bunch we got to wade into. Next. When playing football, you run up to 120 pitches. You work out 650 muscles. You withstand three times your body weight. You treble your adrenaline production. You raise your heartbeat to 180 times per minute. And in the end, you lose up to three liters of sweat for one goal. This game is not a game. Gatorade works with no artificial colors or sweeteners. I pass through the trees. I leave behind the mountains. I weave in the air. I fly over the birds. And I wish when I complete my journey, I leave behind a better world. Honda Civic Hybrid, India's first hybrid car with IV Tech engine, leave behind a better world. Morning face. You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mace. Ow, they're one of my eyes. Quit moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA, love your home. In every age, a technology is created that upends the foundations of society. The wheel, the printing press, the internet. Now, in a world sliding into financial chaos, a new technology is changing the way monetary systems work around the world. It is called Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a new form of money, controlled not by banks, governments, or corporations, but through mutual commerce between free individuals. To learn more, visit WeUseCoins.com. Taking aim at the noise, the lies, and the disinformation of mainstream media. Your warrior of the facts. Here's Dan Newman. 
It's kind of cool to have a congressman from right here in the same city as I live in and be able to call him a friend, but be able to have him come on the show and speak some facts. One thing I can tell you about Mike Johnson, um, he's one of the most honest people I've ever met. And he is what you hear. He's that way to the bone. Let me give you another example of what he does. He last week took on the Department of Justice. You just heard him speak about it a few minutes ago. And this is this is kind of how it works in D.C. But what you're about to hear is Congressman Johnson drilling a Department of Justice expert. This doesn't happen often enough. And it's not going to be effective unless everybody up there honestly asks questions like this and demands answers from those bureaucrats who are supposed to work for us. Thank you, Mr. Olson over here. I, it's ironic to hear my colleagues today talk about disinformation because there's a lot of it being shared from the other side of the aisle. Let me reset the table here on the documented facts of what exactly we know about this whole school board's issue. As activist groups on the left continued to push their agenda on America's children last year, parents across the country began to speak out. They came to school board meetings, they, they expressed their views on critical race theory and mass mandates and controversial curricula. That's their First Amendment right. But as more parents spoke out, the National School Boards Association and the Biden administration colluded, that's a specifically used term for a reason, to create a justification to use federal law enforcement tools to silence those parents who are becoming a real problem for the agenda. As part of this collusion, the NSBA, the School Board Association, sent a now famous letter to the White House dated September 29, 2001, urging the Biden administration to use the heavy hand of federal law enforcement, including the Patriot Act, to target those moms and dads and chill their protected First Amendment rights. The White House not only colluded with the NSBA to craft the substance of that letter, uh, but following the letter, President Biden called the then SBA president to say he was, quote, appreciative of their letter and invited her to visit the Oval Office. The NSBA letter stated, quote, malice, violence, and threats is against school officials, quoting, could be the equivalent of a form of domestic terrorism or hate crimes, unquote. We didn't make that up. This is all documented. The NSBA on May 20th of this year released a report. It had to commission a report because 20 of its organizations, its state school board associations, pulled out and disavowed the NSBA over all this nonsense. So they commissioned a report to examine the events surrounding that September 29th letter to President Biden. The report offered all of us and all the American people who were paying attention new evidence of exactly how the Justice Department coordinated with the White House to target parents. The report found that the first communications, the first communications between NSBA and the White House occurred on September 9th, almost a month prior to all this, and that the Biden White House closely coordinated with the NSBA on its letter to President Biden. This is the NSBA's information, not Republicans in Congress. Contrary to Attorney General Garland's sworn testimony to this committee, sir, Whistleblower information now shows that the Justice Department and its components quickly operationalized his directive. And on October 20th, the day before A.G. Garland's congressional testimony, the FBI's assistant director for counterterrorism division sent an email referencing Garland's October 4th directive and notifying FBI personnel about a new threat tag created to apply to school board investigations. We know the threat tag is EDU officials. We're not making this up, sir. The whistleblowers have confirmed it all. And that threat tag has been used in almost every region of the country relating to all types of educational settings. I don't want to misquote you, but you are under oath. 
And I, I believe that just a few moments ago, you testified, quote, no one has been investigated because of the EDU official threat tag. Did I misquote you? No one has been investigated solely because of a threat tag. I, I will tell you that people are investigated because of acts of violence or threats of violence. That's why people are investigated. Okay, all right, and so it's your testimony today that parents, moms and dads who went to school boards, engaged in violence to, sufficient to, uh, to trigger investigations? I don't have specific information on the number of, of cases. You of course. You, know, I, know the I, number? you can't tell us the number of cases? Why is that sensitive? I don't, I don't know the number of cases. What I can tell you is that... Hold on, wait a minute. You're the director. How do you not know the number of cases? Isn't this an important thing? You've you testified here how important this is. You don't know the number? If I, if I, if I may, so the, the NESCU division would only handle a matter if it is a matter that falls within the crimes that we are responsible for prosecuting. Um, there may be cases that are being handled by other divisions. Okay, how, many is your, how many is your division handling? I'm not aware of any that the National Security Division is handling. Tell me about the threat tag EDU officials. What was its purpose? I, I think I would, off, I would suggest directing that question to the FBI. That's so convenient, because when they're here, they point the, the finger elsewhere. Let me just say this. Look, moms and dads voicing their concerns at school board meetings are not domestic terrorists. And for the White House to suggest as much or collude with anybody who does is absolutely outrageous. It's one of the glaring examples and the reasons why millions of American people now believe that the U.S. Department of Justice has been weaponized for political purposes. And you and I both know the real threat to that is the rapid erosion of faith that our citizens have in our system of justice itself, in our institutions. It's at record lows right now. We cannot maintain a constitutional republic if people don't trust the system of justice and the fairness of the system. And targeting citizens for expressing their outrage over curricula is not an appropriate use of your resources. We're gonna get down to the bottom of this when we get the majority here in a few months, and we need you back under oath, because I think there's a lot more answers you're gonna have to provide. I yield back. Can, may, if I may respond, sure. I, I absolutely agree. It is essential that we maintain the trust of the American people and, and that they understand that we follow the rule of law and that we investigate crimes without regard to politics and ideology. Um, allegations that the FBI is silencing parents is reckless and false. That's not what the facts show. And that's the not what the whistleblowers time say. has expired. I wanted you to hear that following him being here with us live at the top of the hour. That is what needs to be happening in Congress Every single day, every member of our government that make decisions for all of these crazy policies that we hear about when those things begin to be enacted and it involves we Americans and we can't believe it's happening because it's taking us down a bad road. And this is our government. Can you imagine our government going after parents that give a rip about what their kids are getting in public schools? And the government wants to label those parents as domestic terrorists? Come on now. We not only need people like Congressman Mike Johnson to hold these interviews and ask these questions in these congressional hearings. We need the 535 men and women that actually take all the stuff they get from these hearings and do something about it. Do something about it. Now, the other side will tell us, oh, you can't, you can't do that. These aren't elected people. These are people that the majority members in this administration hire. And we have total authority over that. As long as we the people let that be true, nothing is going to change. There, Here you go again. 
Nothing changes if nothing changes. If the way we're doing something isn't reaching the desired results, the only thing that can be done to make those desired results happen is to change what we're doing that allows it to remain status quo. And if you think that interview you just heard was one little bitty part of the Department of Justice, oh my gosh, everybody with very few exceptions in the top three levels at the FBI are totally in the tank for this socialist style of governing that Congressman Johnson referenced when he was speaking with us just a few minutes ago. We can't let that happen. We just can't go down that, down that road. If we start down that road and make it okay, I'm telling you folks, we are headed towards what they want to call socialist light. We're headed towards socialist slash totalitarianism light. And let me give you an example that just popped up minutes ago. Congressman, one of my favorite congressmen, Representative Adam Schiff, Democrat from California, along with his fellow Democrat from California, Judy Chu, they introduced a bill to use the IRS. Use the IRS. Now, what does that denote? Mike Johnson talked about it. Weaponization of the Department of Justice. Use the IRS as a vehicle to redefine infertility. Now, stay with me here. It's called the Equal Access to Reproductive Care Act. And this is insane. Some of you are going to laugh. Some of you are going to go, my gosh, we're headed toward a brick wall. What's in this Equal Access to Reproductive Care Act? Same-sex couples and single men would be able to deduct assisted reproductive care, including surrogacy, as a medical expense on their tax returns. And they wouldn't have to demonstrate a medical, physical infertility. Let let, let me give you a little more. Schiff's press release, it goes so far as to equate the pain felt by fertile same-sex couples with the pain felt by infertile male-female couples. Now, typically, that tax deduction is available for men and women after they're diagnosed as infertile. That's based on the inability to conceive after 12 months of unprotected intercourse. Schiff claims that failing to offer fertile same-sex couples an infertility benefit is a form of discrimination. But of course, such men are not infertile. They aren't biologically deficient. After all, no two men can conceive a child together. Now, there is somebody that's going to be throwing something at their computer screen for my saying that, but I'll say it again. They aren't biologically deficient. No two men can conceive a child together. California's bill would provide generous tax deductions to affirm what is simply nothing more than an illusion. So by replacing the biological definition of infertility 
groups that are like men having babies, that's a group, are pushing to redefine infertility on the federal and state level. Most recent effort, they're doing it in Illinois already, resulted in the state redefining infertility to include a person's inability to reproduce either as a single individual or with a partner without medical intervention or based on a patient's medical, sexual, and reproductive history. That treats infertility as a matter of personal feeling and preference. I love dogs. I do. I love dogs. And I'm going to tell you something that will blow your mind. It's raining really hard where we are. And studio is in our house. And we have a four-pound, six-year-old Yorkshire Terrier named Olivia. And as we speak... Olivia is laying on top of the desk in the studio because she's afraid of rain, hard rain. Okay, I like dogs. I'm illustrating here. So take, for instance, if I'm a a guy and I want to self-identify as a dog, what they're trying to do is give me who identifies as something biologically I'm not, the rights of somebody who really is what I want to identify as. That is insane. But that is what is happening every day in our government. This is Adam Schiff, one of the 435 members of the House of Representatives. He serves on a bunch of committees and stuff with Congressman Mike Johnson. And this is what they're presenting This is what they think this nation needs to get straightened out. Make it okay for two people who aren't biologically capable to conceive. Give them a tax tax break. Come on now. (laughs) This This is absolute insanity. Put this crap behind us. Put it away. Let's get down to business doing some things that are going to change things in America for the better. Substantively, not just thinking things, but real things, real problems that must be addressed. Look at what happened and is still happening in the wake of COVID-19, the pandemic. So after thousands of Americans already faced job losses, and they had ruined livelihoods. Why? We'll never forget this. This will be a blight on the historical portrayal of 2021 and 2022 vaccine mandates. The CDC is backtracking now on its COVID-19 guidelines. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. They can't do that. They're the scientists. They're the ones that are appointed and hired by whoever's in the White House, right? Here we go again. And they told us every day, day after day after day after day, every time something popped up that was new, we were hearing about people getting sick and people dying, and here's why, and here's what was going on, and here's the way you treat it. And, oh, don't go opposite of any way or anything that Dr. Anthony Fauci recommended. If so, You're a blight on humanity, and you must be silenced. That went on for almost three years. Three years. 
So late last week, the agency released revised guidelines, which put an emphasis on individuals assessing their own risk. Now, who was out there screaming for that from the very beginning? People like uh, Truth News Network. Trust the American people. Give us facts. Let us make the decisions that are best for us and our families. So now here we are, and finally, the CDC catches up to how most Americans have been approaching the virus since the beginning of 2020. So what's in this update? Those exposed to COVID no longer need to um, quarantine. Mass screening of healthy asymptomatic individuals is no longer recommended. The fear tactic, you remember that? And also, somebody makes those tests that they take, you know, the one where they stick the swab up your your nose into your brain? Yeah, it's horrible, but somebody makes them, somebody sells them to the federal government. Who's the federal government? Me and you, we're paying for all this. Distinctions between vaccinated and unvaxxed people will no longer be made. OMG, natural immunity finally given a life now by the CDC. The CDC's wording also, it includes the reality of natural immunity and breakthrough infections. And now they're even taking the evil tag off of the word misinformation. They're not going to use it anymore. CDC's COVID-19 prevention recommendations, it says, no longer differentiate based on a person's vaccination status because breakthrough infections occur. Though they are generally mild and persons who have had COVID-19 but are not vaccinated have some degree of protection against severe illness from their previous infection. So why the change? Well, the virus is here to say. It's here to stay with us, they say, for a long time. That's from CDC epidemiologist Greta Massetti. This is during a news brief. Though not quite admitting wrong, the change the updated guidelines say comes from evolving science and context. So they're not admitting they have been wrong. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky did say that the agency plans to make more improvements to its operations as it did not reliably meet expectations in its response to COVID-19. You remember, you guys out there, you're going to die. If you breathe air on anybody, they're going to die. You're going to die and they're going to die. If you don't wear this kind of mask, You're going to die and they're going to die. Don't wear that mask, wear this one. And don't wear one mask, wear two, sometimes three. An external review of the agency initiated in April suggests the CDC share scientific findings and data faster and be transparent about the agency's current level of understanding. If that had been the case, there would never have been a single dose of remdesivir put in the arms of any COVID-positive person. Why is that? We now know, based on facts that we were able to dig out with a bunch of other people that do what we did, to test, and it's on the CDC website. You can dig in and find what I'm about to tell you. To 
quote-unquote control test of patients before the approval of the use of remdesivir. In both tests, remdesivir not only did not work effectively, it destroyed the kidneys of most of those people. Kidney failure, severe kidney failure. And do you remember at the beginning of the pandemic when it really got bad, ramped up in New York City? Hospitals were covered up with COVID patients. They were begging nationwide for ventilators. We even hooked them up with one of our longtime friends in my company to get some ventilators, get them quicker. And that wasn't working. People were dying. We were hearing they just couldn't stand it. Their lungs were blowing up, literally, because water was in their lungs, and it wasn't pneumonia water. It was water that came from the swelling from the inside that was initiated in large and almost totally by remdesivir. I don't know if you remember, but two and a half years ago, we had a doctor on, and I promised I would not give his name or tell you which hospital he was associated with in New York City. But he was a respiratory doctor, a specialist, really good one, been around for a long time. And he was watching these patients come out of the ER, going to the COVID floor. Everybody put on remdesivir. Why were they doing that? Well, guess who controls the hospital protocols for any infectious disease? The protocols means... If you're in the hospital and somebody comes in and they test positive for COVID and previously for any other thing, you have a map and you pull that map out and it tells you, here's what you do first, second, third, fourth, fifth, right down the line for every patient. It's kind of a fundamental thing and you grow from that, right? Well, guess who decided which drugs would be used to treat these COVID positive Seriously ill patients. Dr. Anthony Fauci, he wrote the protocols. And in the protocols, he mandated that only one drug be given to COVID-positive patients in hospital. What would that drug be? Remdesivir. Hundreds of thousands of Americans had remdesivir forced into their veins by Dr. Anthony Fauci's protocol, and thousands of the deaths that happened from quote-unquote COVID-19 did not happen because of COVID-19. They happened because of the kidney failure that was caused by Dr. Anthony Fauci's hospital protocols. The CDC hadn't yet come out and admitted that, but they will. They will, and guess what? Nobody in Big Pharma, the owners and sellers of Remdesivir, nobody in that company, nobody in the hospitals, nobody is going to be held accountable because everybody has been indemnified by the Biden administration. What does that mean? It means if you want to go sue somebody in the hospital where your loved one died because they were part of this process had remdesivir given to them and they had kidney failure and died, you can only sue one entity, the United States federal government. Good luck with that, right? 
you better have a buttload full of money. Constant flip-flopping on guidelines has tanked the CDC's credibility with less than half of us now trusting them at all. Its track record makes it easy to see why. Cloth masks worked, then they didn't. Vaxxed individuals didn't need to mask, and then they did. Vaccines prevented the spread. If you don't get it, you're going to die. And then it didn't stop the threat. Worse, the CDC's inconsistent and unscientific guidelines provided justification for mandates that threatened the jobs of thousands of workers and thousands lost their jobs permanently. Mandates especially hurt crucial industries like freaking health care, the one, the only one that we needed to keep on upright on two legs. Hospitals nationwide face staffing crisis still today, exacerbated by vaccine requirements. New York's mandate calls the termination or forced resignation of 31,858 healthcare workers. That's not just a few folks. That prompted Biden to mobilize military doctors to fill the gap. Early this year, California compensated for shortages in its hospital by asking COVID-positive staff to come back to work. Even those with medical education backgrounds were unable to challenge the authoritative rule of the CDC. Experts like Aaron Carity, Ethics and Public Policy Center fellow and previous director of the Medical Ethics Program at UCI Health. People like that put their careers in jeopardy just because they spoke up. After Carity argued in a lawsuit that natural immunity should be seen as equal to a vax, he was fired by the University of California, Irvine, for failure to comply with that mandate. In a recent post reacting to the CDC's new guidance, he says he now anticipates winning in court. Do the right thing even when it's unpopular, he wrote. Stand by your convictions even when you look foolish to many other people. When the other side retaliates, don't flinch. Be patient. Bide your time. Eventually, the truth will out. So play the long game. And then what about the military? In the military, which is probably the most important sector of Americans that need to be protected and kept whole and kept right, and kept on their post to keep us safe. The CDC's poor public health guidance continues to put national security at stake. More than 60,000 U.S. Army National Guard and Reserve soldiers were cut from duties and benefits after they refused vaccination. That's in addition to more than 1,100 soldiers, 800 airmen, 1,000 sailors, 2,000 Marines. Mandates affected recruiting, too. The Epoch Times reports the U.S. Army expects to come up short of its recruiting goal of nearly 40,000 troops, 40,000 short of what they need over the next two years. COVID regulations reduced the number of qualified applicants by limiting academic and physical fitness challenges and decreasing overall trust in the military. Vax mandates, in particular, have stopped some qualified young people 
from joining the military. Now, it's good the CDC finally is acknowledging the truth, but it's by no means clear that this will fix the numerous problems its misguided decisions have created. Whether workers fired over what turns out to be an entirely rational position, they're going to be compensated or rehired. That remains a pressing question. The damage brought by the CDC cannot be so quickly forgotten. It can't. Who is responsible for that? Who let it happen? Here's the thing. An objective government that works for the people and enforces the rule of law, an objective government would have already gone into the CDC, launched massive investigations, and found out where and who the problems are and cut bait. In fact, I honestly think that CDC Director Rochelle Zelensky, when she came out and talked about this, presented this to the public late last week, I think she sees something in the offing that might be ahead. It may include people getting canned at the CDC. We're watching. Real Truth, Real News, TNN, the Truth News Network. What can milk do? Well, it can turn you into a morning person. It can help fuel some pretty tough stuff. And it can definitely make cartoons funnier. No, it can't. Oh, well, it can have a little edge. But come on, even kitties love it. It'll keep up with you at any age. It makes engines whir and creme brulee creme. It's one of the easiest labels you'll ever read. And anything that makes this happen is pretty special. In fact, what can't milk do? At Akio, we've been making the best in mobile phones for over 20 years. How did we get there? By putting ringtones in every commercial that make you think your phone is ringing. Whether you have a new phone, an old phone, or just leave it on vibrate, we make sure you always hear your phone in our commercials. It's our way of saying, we hear you. So don't be silenced when opportunity calls, pick it up. It's for you. Akio Mobile. You get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. So much, I'm going to have to speed things up. You can get the claim-free discount, which gives you money off your homeowner's policy if you've been claim-free for three consecutive years. Also applies for three successive years, three years straight, and what's known to insurance fans as the claim-free three-peat. Get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. Start with a quote by calling 1-800-FARMERS. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Now for the legal something. Not available in every state. Only available with select farmers branded policies subject to terms and conditions underwritten by Farmers Truck or Fire Insurance Exchanges or Affiliate. I'm Papa John, pizza maker. The quality of every ingredient is important to me. Like the sweet, juicy pineapple and pulled ham hock that refreshes a pizza classic. Introducing our new premium Hawaiian, another Papa John's original. Like all our pizzas, it comes with Papa's quality guarantee. Try something new with a third off your order. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. Sounds like something um, tropical, you know. Maybe some place where you eat outside 
and you're looking out over your table over that umbrella drink at the waves coming in crystal clear water bleached white sand boy that sounds good right now you're supposed to have already done that dan vacation time's pretty much over right <laughs> when when you get to be my age folks getting away for a few days for anything is a big deal why yeah we move slower but we get so entrenched in everything we do. I will tell you this. I am working on an opportunity to, in the near future, be doing this show for a few days, looking out over an ocean with bleach white sand and crystal clear water and doing the show live out there. <laughs> and you're going to be so jealous. I'm working on that. That's my panacea. A lot of people like to go to the mountains and ski and all that kind of... I like to go someplace where I can squeeze sand between my toes and tip my feet into cool, clear ocean water. I just love it. I do. Hey, we got some big news just minutes ago about the Mar-a-Lago invasion, which is really what it was by the DOJ. That magistrate judge down in Florida, Judge Bruce Reinhart. This morning, he filed a motion, and he formally rejected the Justice Department's argument to keep the entire affidavit that led to the search warrant for the FBI's unprecedented raid of Mar-a-Lago under seal. And he's doing it given the, quote, intense public and historical interest. He made a filing this morning, he said, in that filing, he rejects the government's argument that the present record justifies keeping the entire affidavit under seal. He gave the Justice Department an opportunity to propose redactions if he declined to seal the entire affidavit, something he granted last week, and they have a deadline of this Thursday at noon for that. Accordingly, he said in the filing today, it is hereby ordered that by the deadline, the government shall file under seal a submission addressing possible redactions and providing any additional evidence or legal argument that the government believes relevant to the pending motions to unseal. That's in that motion this morning. So it looks like the gloves are coming off. There's going to be war between the DOJ and Donald Trump. I know that surprises you. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Trey Gowdy weighed in on this over the weekend. I like Trey Gowdy, former federal prosecutor, former member of the House of Representatives. And this weekend he said that uh, it looks like we'll get to see part of the affidavit used to search former President Trump's home. Reinhardt, Judge Reinhardt, did what judges do, which is to say yes and no. Yes, the public should see portions of the affidavit because there's significant interest in the search of the former president's home. But no, the public won't see it all because there could be safety concerns for witnesses or it could impact ongoing investigations. It takes probable cause, Grouty said, to search, but it takes a whole lot more than that to convict. Whatever's in that affidavit, it may or may not wind up being true or proven. And it certainly isn't the whole story. Because only the government participates in seeking a search warrant. We don't know, and we won't know, 
until both sides present their facts and test the evidence on the other side. Perhaps most importantly, Gowdy said we should ask ourselves why. Why do we want to read the affidavit? How will it help us arrive at the truth? Do we want all the facts or are we content with just the facts that support what we already believe? Credible evidence is supposed to move us, to persuade us. Can we still be persuaded? Are our minds still open for facts? If you're an ardent supporter of the former president, he said, is there anything in this affidavit or anywhere else which could lead you to believe he didn't follow the rules of the law? In the evidence and the facts, evidence and facts in the end should decide whether Trump has something to be held accountable for or whether this is just another political witch hunt, which millions of Americans believe. If you don't like or support the former president, is he still entitled to a legal presumption of innocence? Legally, the answer to that is yes. Are you still open to the possibility that no crime has been committed? Does the evidence still matter, or have people already made up their minds? Despite what others may say, Trey Gowdy said, waiting and wanting to see the evidence is good. It's even better when the jury hasn't already made up its mind. I got to be honest with you, this Mar-a-Lago thing, it scares me to death. Right now, of everything going on, I'm talking about southern border, Ukraine, economy, inflation, all those kind of things. This thing scares me to death more than any other thing because it looks like the United States Department of Justice under the leadership of Attorney General Merrick Garland has weaponized one of the most powerful and the most important departments of the Biden administration against a political opponent of the sitting president of the United States. Politicized it, in other words, taking regular legal things out of the hands of the people's representatives and put it directly in the hands of a bunch of hired bureaucrats, many of who have horrible hatred, and it's been showed publicly time and time again through the years, through the Mueller investigation and through the Ukraine gate, the original phone call thing that ended up in an impeachment of Donald Trump. All of these weaponized outside constitutional guidelines to attack a political foe, that being Donald Trump. Where do the people fall in in this debate? We don't. We're left on the sidelines. There's nothing you can do about it. I mean, you can express your opinion, which you need to do. My congressman, you heard him this morning, Mike Johnson. He knows exactly how I feel. We talk regularly. Find your congressman or congresswoman. Call them. Make sure they know who you are. And very concisely give them your concerns on things like Mar-a-Lago and other things. You may think Mar-a-Lago's okay, but you've got something else that you think is devious. Call them and talk to them about it. We need to do that first, and then we need to hold them accountable. And ultimately accountable 
you hold every member of the House of Representatives accountable and you can change them out in a couple of months. This important, without question, will be the most important in my lifetime. More FBI mess. (laughs) Stephen D'Antono. Stephen ran the Detroit field office of the FBI when trial testimony alleges it instigated, encouraged, and facilitated what the government charges was a plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Now, we've covered this story recently, but every day something new comes out. The Washington, D.C. FBI field office that raided Donald Trump's Margalow estate and is investigating the January 6th Capitol breach is led by this guy, Stephen D'Antono, who ran the Bureau's Detroit field office when trial testimony alleges it instigated, encouraged, and facilitated what the government charges was a plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. The retrial of two men charged in that plot, Adam Fox and Barry Croft, finished its first full week last Thursday when the prosecution rested. Details about the integral role the FBI paid throughout the development of the alleged kidnapping plot, it continues to emerge and plunging public support for the agency following a string of investigations, arrests, and the prosecutions targeting Trump allies and recent whistleblower reports of enforcement decisions that are tainted by political bias at FBI headquarters in D.C. Legal experts, civil libertarians, have decried accelerating prosecutorial overkill, double standards, and strong-arm tactics in the criminalization of political opposition by the DOJ and the FBI. The plot was an FBI-inspired, organized, and executed scheme to kidnap and assassinate Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer ahead of the 2020 presidential election. Now that, I mean, that sounds like a far-out leftist movie. It was a plot, an FBI-inspired, organized, and executed scheme to not only kidnap, but assassinate Gretchen Whitmer. Two of the men charged in the plot were acquitted in April on the grounds that they'd been entrapped by who? The FBI. And the jury could not reach a verdict for Fox and Croft. Why is that? So the DOJ decided to retry Fox and Croft. Kelly said the department's timing could not be worse as the credibility of both the DOJ and FBI is imploding. Last Wednesday, informant Dan Chappell, an FBI informant, also known as Big Dan, was cross-examined by the defense, a contractor for the U.S. Postal Service who drove delivery trucks. Chappell was put in touch with the FBI after he shared his concerns with a cop over a pro-Second Amendment Facebook group that he said was critical of law enforcement, according to his testimony from the first trial. FBI Special Agent Jason Chambers worked with Big Dan on both the Whitmer kidnapping plot and another scheme down in Virginia. The latter one was targeting then-Governor Ralph Northam. This is insane stuff. In the Virginia operation, 
Chambers told Chapel to try to convince a Vietnam veteran to kill the governor specifically. And this came from text. Chambers has his own internet intelligence company. And that company's Twitter account posted hints regarding pending arrest before the news broke regarding the alleged Whitmer plot. And this is the killer. The FBI paid Chapel $60,000 for the seven months he worked with them, which was more than he made with the U.S. Postal Service in a year. He was given a smartwatch, $3,300 laptop, new tires for his vehicle by the FBI. On several occasions, Chapel offered this information, unemployed and living in the basement of a vacuum repair shop without any running water. That's who this guy is. He had a credit card with a $5,000 limit from the FBI that was given to him to buy weapons, ammunition, and pay for hotel rooms. However, others never took the credit card, Chapel said in testimony. Chapel testified on Monday that during an April 2020 anti-lockdown protest that he attended at the Michigan State Capitol, the FBI told state police to stand down and allow the protesters into the building. Now, this whole operation started in March of 2020. Five months later, there was still no plot to kidnap Whipper, Wimp, Whitmer. The group involved in the alleged plot was brought together by Chapel, usually stoned during their meetings which he usually arranged. According to one text, Chapel's FBI handler praised him for bringing people together. So let's just stop here. Our FBI, like they didn't have anything else to do, they came up and manufactured this crazy operation that they were going to put in place in Michigan. Kidnap Gretchen Whitmer and assassinate Gretchen Whitmer the governor, but they weren't going to do it themselves. They weren't going to do it behind the scenes. They wanted to go out there and get people that looked like they were MAGA people. See if you can change those people's minds, get them all hot and heated about Donald Trump, pay them $60,000 a year to put the whole plot together. And this is a reality. Congressman Mike Johnson, he mentioned it, the weaponization of the Department of Justice and how evil it is. This is just nuts, but it's going on right now. It's got to be stopped. You do realize that we last week passed the first anniversary of the withdrawal from Afghanistan. We covered it exhaustively here at TNN Live when it was going on. Never seen anything like it in my lifetime. The, the withdrawal was just horrible. 13 American military members were killed by a suicide bomber who got the particles, the explosives that were used from Bagram Air Base. That's the air base outside of Kabul, the capital of Afghanistan, where the United States had built a multi-billion dollar air base and we had all kinds of military equipment, ammunition, even had a prison in which we held Afghani political prisoners there. Joe Biden gave it to the Afghanistans 
to the Taliban. We walked out of Bagram Air Base and we flew out of Kabul, Afghanistan. We left everything behind. Billions of dollars worth of military equipment. And by the way, some explosives that were part of the particles that the suicide bomber used to kill those 13 American military members. Why did Joe Biden just pull out? That wasn't even a withdrawal. A withdrawal means you have a plan in place. He got a plan handed to him when he became president, Donald Trump, and his uh, Secretary of State and Secretary of Defense had negotiate already a withdrawal, and it was in writing. The Biden folks said, oh, they never gave us anything. But they did, and it's been documented. They didn't even look at it and use it. They just decided to leave. But there are more horrors about that Afghan withdrawal. Senator, the minority in the House, Republicans put out a report besides that. Biden people want to bury this. Is that possible to bury this catastrophic exit? No, Brian, it's not possible to bury the fiasco in Afghanistan because it has uh, effects that are resonating around the world today. You know, China's major state-owned propaganda outlet referred to an Afghan effect about a year ago. Part of what you see in Ukraine is the Afghan effect. Uh, Vladimir Putin took Joe Biden's measure last August and he started building up troops on Ukraine's border just a month later. Xi Jinping took the measure of Joe Biden. The Afghan effect there, as you see, with the bellicose rhetoric and actions regarding Taiwan. So even though the Joe, even though Joe Biden and his administration never wants to discuss the Afghan fiasco, it kind of kind of underlies a lot of the chaos you see around the world. It wasn't just a tragedy for the troopers that we lost and their families and those Americans that we left behind. It was a strategic blunder of the first order, and unfortunately, it's going to be living with us for a long time, at least as long as Joe Biden is president. I want you to hear what uh, Tim Kennedy uh, told me. He's working in Iraq and Afghanistan, just getting people, excuse me, Ukraine and Afghanistan, just getting people out. Here's what he told me about the chaos. He was actually at the airport when everything went down. We still have people in safe houses that are running from the Taliban, valuable people. We have, you know, when we left, there were hundreds of Americans that we still needed to get out. It was chaos. It was anarchy. It, it was the worst thing. Like, it was apocalyptic. The level of desperation, it's indescribable. You see people falling from planes and babies going over concertina wire. That is nothing even close to how bad it was on the ground. He's got a documentary out. Uh, that is true. And I'm afraid that everyone's focused on bills and raids and not enough on this before we talk about china just what tim said it was chaos it's chaos it was a catastrophe for all those there um i know people who were there on the front lines and have explained what it was like to me it was terrible uh but again this goes back to joe biden's failures and especially the state department's failures to plan for an orderly withdrawal once joe biden made the decision to withdraw. The State Department leads such evacuations. The military and our intelligence agencies support them. And thrown into very difficult circumstances with very poor planning, our military, right. uh, the troops on the front lines, our intelligence officers on the front lines did a good job getting out as many people as they could. But the State Department failed this test by not planning in advance to get out our uh, American citizens and green card holders and their families. And the 
ultimate uh, result of that was 13 dead Americans from that suicide bombing and significant harm to America's reputation and prestige and sense of power in the world, which still lives with us today. And I guess China learned from that. Um, their belligerence is an all-time high. They're still doing exercises in and around Taiwan. It looks like the president wants to meet with President Xi. Are you convinced that this is the time to meet with China? Well, if they meet on the sidelines of a G20 summit later this fall, I don't see much wrong with it. What worries me is what Joe Biden will say at that summit. We just learned in recent days, for instance, that the Biden administration has basically approved every single export license for technology to China over the last 18 months. Joe Biden dialed it up to DEFCON 1 last month when Nancy Pelosi took a routine and ordinary trip to Taiwan, which I've done before, which members of both parties in the House and the Senate routinely do. He let Xi Jinping try to move the goalpost on our relationship with Taiwan. I'm very worried that because of President Biden's uh, weakness that Xi Jinping, once he secures a third five-year term later this fall, may finally go for the jugular mm -hmm. in Taiwan. The most important thing that, he, that President Biden can communicate to Chairman Xi at that meeting is that we will not stand by if they invade Taiwan and try to annex it forcibly to uh, mainland China. So much at stake. Fast forward to Ukraine. So we have pledged another $700 million to that country. We've given some very effective weapons, allow them to penetrate, it looks like, through guerrilla warfare into Crimea and have some success in Kyrgyzstan, uh, moving on the offensive. But the Ukrainians are getting frustrated. They say we're giving them enough weapons to survive but not win, and that maybe in the fall before the election, Jake Sullivan and the State Department will say, this is it, we're done, the Russians can keep what they got. Is that, is, does he have a reason to fear that? The Ukrainians do have a reason to fear that Joe Biden will get cold feet because he's kind of had cold feet from the very beginning. Since the end of last year, the Biden administration pussyfooted around with Ukraine, not delivering them the kind of anti-tank weapons at first they needed to stop the assault on Kiev in the north. Once they started sending those weapons and it was clear that we'd face a traditional artillery battle in eastern Ukraine, they didn't send them the kind of advanced uh, artillery and rocket systems they needed. Since we've started sending those, they're still doing it too slowly and there's too many restrictions on ammunition. Look, the Ukrainians were invaded by Russia. They want to defend their own territory. They want to fight their own war. We should arm them and allow them to do so. Exactly. That is, should have been our policy from the very beginning and we might have stopped the progress that Russia made earlier this year and not have to worry about Ukraine mounting a counteroffensive. But it's well past time to make right. sure Ukraine has all the weapons they need to defend their territory and hopefully begin to take some of that territory back so they can get to the negotiating table on favorable terms to get a satisfactory outcome to the Ukrainian people. When are you going to decide if you're running for president? I know you're in Iowa. <laughs> you know, Brian, I had a drill sergeant that used to tell us on the rifle range to hit the 25-meter target before you hit the 300 meter target. And right now the 25 meter target are these elections in November. The American people okay. are prepared to send a message to Joe Biden. They don't like this kind of weakness. They don't like the inflation or the crime or the open borders. Got it. I'm focused on that 25 meter target now. We'll look at the next election after this election. Senator Tom Cotton, thanks so much. Enjoy your weekend. Hey, Sean Hannity here. Hey, click here to subscribe to Fox News YouTube page and catch our hottest interviews and most compelling analysis. You will not get it anywhere else. That Darned Sean Hannity. He jumps in here on the show every once in a while. Tom Cotton. 
Oh my gosh, he's a great guy, a very, very smart guy, senator from Arkansas, and he just laid it out there. Uh, by the way, Bagram Air Base, I mentioned, you know, the, the, the reason, one of the reasons it was so critical for us not to pull out there, that was the closest military establishment to the Chinese nation that the American government has. Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan. Joe Biden pulled out, left everything there. We were originally told there was $80 billion worth of military equipment that were left there. And a uh, inspector general for the State Department came out last week and said, no, it was only 30. <laughs> only $30 billion. But guess what? The Taliban got all that. But guess who's moving into the air base? You'll never believe this. Well, you probably will. China is moving into that air base. Go figure. Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select as it offers you the option to drive a brand new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select, dynamic finance for ultimate control. BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. not be able to lower the cost of gas, but we can do something about how many miles you will drive per gallon. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store today and let us help you increase the performance of your car or truck. Simple things like replacing your air filter, changing worn out spark plugs, and using fuel injector cleaner can add up to better fuel economy and big savings. There's an O'Reilly Auto Parts store close to you that has the name brands, low prices, and people who can help. Restore lost fuel economy and eliminate rough idle with Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner. Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts by 2 and get one free. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner quickly cleans clogged injectors to increase fuel efficiency and help your vehicle run smooth. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner, buy two, get one free at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply, see store for details. Dunkin' is putting a whole new spin on pumpkin at Dunkin' with our new pumpkin cream cold brew. Smooth, bold, cold brew topped with velvety pumpkin cream cold foam made with cinnamon and nutmeg spices. And there's more pumpkin for you to love, like the delicious fall classic, our pumpkin spice signature latte. Rich espresso topped with whipped cream, caramel drizzle, and cinnamon sugar. That's how we pumpkin at Dunkin'. Sip into the fall season with the new pumpkin cream cold brew or pumpkin spice signature latte. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. As politics grow ever more chaotic, remember this truth. When you're taking heavy flack, it usually means you're over the target. Open the Bombay doors. Truthnewsnet.org. Your pilot on this mission, Dan Newman. Yep, we are over the target, no question about it. The target, the immediate target is November, the November midterm elections. Conservatives have got to get together, join together, and make those choices sufficient to get the House of Representatives and the Senate out of the control of the leftists in Congress. we got to bring it back down where decisions are made, but they're made using facts rather than political weaponization against your political foes. 
Americans are sick of that. And there are so many atrocities that are happening under this administration. This president, if he ever had it, he's lost total control of our government. Democrats, we are told this weekend by the Washington Post, the Washington Post, hardest left rag, a national rag in the nation, the Washington Post. Democrats justify the FBI's raid on former President Trump's home as even-handed enforcement of the law. Now, this is what the WAPO says. They do that, yet illegally allow many Southern economic migrants into Americans' workplaces, flooding across our Southern border. We've been hearing a lot about the rule of law lately, wrote Henry Olson, who is a moderate that's been assigned to the Washington Post roster of mostly pro-establishment op-ed writers. Henry Olson wrote this, Biden's look-the-other-way immigration policy is in effect and a genuine, ingenuous way to avoid that rule. That mocks the principle he piously says he supports. Here's an example. Attorney General Merrick Garland, he justified the raid on Trump's home. Here's what he said about it. Upholding the rule of law means applying the law evenly, without fear or favor. Under my watch, here comes the pontification. Under my watch, that is precisely what the Justice Department is doing. All Americans are entitled to the even-handed application of the law, to due process of the law, and to the presumption of innocence. And of course, he could end every one of those phrases honestly by saying, all Americans are entitled to the even-handed application of the law, unless you're a Republican, to due process of the law, unless you're a conservative, and to the presumption of innocence, unless you're one of those people that we, one by one, decide we don't want to get the presumption of innocence here at the Department of Justice. Now, coming up in December, we're told, Supreme Court's going to hear arguments that Biden and his deputies are willfully ignoring their obligation to detain job-seeking border crossers. This is going to the Supreme Court. Now, what's going to happen if they rule against the Biden administration and they say, you got to start enforcing the laws down at the southern border? I can tell you what's going to happen. The same things that's happened on other issues that the Supreme Court has rolled out. Biden's just ignored them. Now, one would think, oh my gosh, you ignore the Supreme Court. Supreme Court's going to do bad things to you. You know what? The Supreme Court can't do anything to anybody. It has no authority, no power. What they do constitutionally is they determine the specifics of the lawlessness of legislation that is passed by the United States House and the United States Senate and signed into law. That's their job. It's not their job to police the administration. And even if they wanted to, they don't have the authority or the means to do it. But the Biden administration knows that because they control, the Democrats control the House and they control the Senate, it doesn't matter what the heck the Supreme Court tells the Biden administration to do or not to do. If they don't want to do it, they're not going to do it because they're not going to be held accountable. Wow. 
Biden and his deputies are willfully ignoring their obligation to detain these job-seeking border crosses. The laws included are 8 U.S.C. 1226C1, 1231A2, 1231A1A, which say the Attorney General shall take into custody, shall detain, and shall remove illegal migrants. In the Washington Post, Olson's op-ed, its headline, Biden's failed immigration policy should be a scandal. Just imagine if, if this was during the Trump administration and Donald Trump was doing, or not doing, but not doing what he was supposed to do and was letting this happen on his watch. What would the left be doing? Oh my gosh. It would have been an immediate impeachment trial number three to get rid of him because he's violating his oath of office. He's not only violating his oath of office, he's purposely forcing people that work in the Department of Homeland Security, Customs, Border Patrol, and ICE, by the way, which they have totally defanged, to leave these illegals alone. Be nice to them. Give them everything they need. Give them where to go to get food, clothing, insurance, places to live, education, free health care, all of it free. Well, for them, but not for the American taxpayer. Washington Post. Op-ed. This is, this is funny. Olson wrote this. Mass ingration is, migration is not being treated as a scandal despite the job impact on ordinary Americans, including those who oppose the labor migration. This is bad for the country. It's bad because it does a nation no good to disrespect its own borders. It's bad because as the country recovers from the pandemic, allowing massive numbers of people to join the economy means legal residents will have to compete with them for jobs. And it's bad because it divides our country by flagrantly ignoring the sentiments of the half or so of voters who want illegal immigration to be controlled. So much for healing the nation, Uncle Joe. Olson argued Biden's policy has failed. The huge numbers of migrants crossing the border make it clear. Biden's immigration policy has failed. Now let me, I'm going to blow your mind with this. This one, I had to look twice when I saw it. There's a rumor out that the Biden administration is just on the verge of using Amtrak to transport illegal migrants from parts of the U.S.-Mexican border. I couldn't believe this. 19 House Republicans, according to them, President Biden's Department of Homeland Security is planning on using hard-earned taxpayer money to fund the transportation of illegal aliens from the border to cross into the country. The House Transportation Committee blames Biden's urgent need to end Title 42 for the massive spike in illegals crossing the border, inciting GOP members to heighten the need to expose the president's plans. So in their investigation, they found that in a letter to Amtrak 
Republicans caution that Biden may use their transportation services for processing if immigration checkpoints are inundated with new arrivals, furthering what's going on down there, our crisis. We're concerned about the impact that a significantly greater border surge could cause to your services and the potential use of Amtrak in the administration's response to its self-created border crisis. Such a situation would cause disruptions for Amtrak customers, as well as interrupt freight traffic that could further exacerbate the supply chain crisis. This is the federal government speaking speaking to Amtrak, a part of the federal government. I just could not, I cannot believe this is happening. Now, there are actually some people out there because Joe Biden has been sending these people around the country in the dark of night on jets, commercial airliners that are hired by the federal government to do this. So changing the Amtrak, well, he's doing the right thing. How does he think he's doing the right thing? Well, I mean, he was flying them around on these chartered jets. It's way less expensive to put them on a train, go the same places. That's a smart move by President Biden. You just can't make this stuff up. And here's another example of a really smart person, a Yale professor, a Yale School of Medicine professor has sparked fury when he proudly shared that he was part of a program that helps children as young as three with their gender journey. Christy Olazeski, director and co-founder of the Yale Pediatric Gender Program, said her team offers advice on if and when youngsters should seek medical intervention, not can seek, but should seek medical intervention. She bragged in a video clip, which was posted on Yale Medicine's YouTube page, that she loves what she does. The video sparked outrage online, as it should have, as she was warned to leave the children alone, and others even claimed it was child abuse. In that footage... Olazeski told how her mission was to provide comprehensive family-centered care for kids, adolescents, and young adults questioning their assigned gender, assigned gender, and or seeking gender-affirmative consultation. Here's what she said. I am the director of the Yale Gender Program, which is an interdisciplinary program working with gender-expansive individuals aged 3 to 25 and their families. We help individuals who are questioning their gender identity or who identity is transgender or non-binary, and we help them with the gender journey. The whole thing boils down to this. Gender, gender, gender. I'm sorry. I told you earlier I love my dog. I don't want to be a dog. I'm not going to self-identify as a dog. I'm biologically not a dog. Why can't people even begin to reconcile the fact that we were told for three years 
follow the science. Of course, that had to do with COVID-19 and our pandemic. It didn't have to do with anything else because if follow the science was the order, Dr. Olesiski wouldn't have this department. She sure wouldn't be the head of it, and she sure wouldn't be out there shopping. Hey, let us help you go get a sex change operation for your four-year-old. The insanity, it just gets louder and louder and louder, doesn't it? I I just don't understand it. Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, he's come out of late and he's actually beginning or talking like he really is a secretary of transportation. Over the weekend... He put out a letter that scolds airline CEOs over their flight disruptions. Hmm. He wrote a letter to several CEOs of U.S. airline carriers this week, called the level of disruption Americans have experienced this summer unacceptable. Like, oh my gosh, the teacher is taking the ruler and is slapping the hands of these CEOs, right? Buttigieg asked airline CEOs to, at a minimum, provide lodging for passengers stranded overnight in an airport, and give out meal vouchers for delays of three hours or longer when the disruption is caused by something in the airline's control. That letter says they all went to major 10 U.S. airlines, including the major ones, their regional affiliates, and their budget carriers. Listen. This is more assault on individual private things in the United States that this government feels like it is enlightened to do and to do it unconstitutionally. Yeah, everybody wants airlines to be on time, get us there on time, provide all the services while we're flying and even after we're flying that go along with flying and being a paying passenger. We want all that to work, to click on Eight, sign- uh, eight cylinders. We want it to. But just because we want it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Just because we want it doesn't mean it can happen. Once again, Pete Buttigieg, Transportation Secretary, he's trying to stay on top of things that will not work in the way the solutions he wants could possibly happen. Why do you think these airlines are having these scheduling problems, having to cancel flights, delay many of them long, long times. Why? It's because of COVID vaccinations. These transportation system airlines, they fired thousands of people who refused to get vaccinated. And those people, I mean, most of those, I would say 100%, maybe 99.9, they got to have an income. They got to have a job. Nobody was offering them a job. Boot Peter Jed, he didn't offer them a job last year when they were getting laid off and because they took the vax, they were fired, didn't get pay for ending their careers. They had to go somewhere else. They've already got jobs. You think they want to go back to the unstable, unbelievable Biden administration and trust them? That was never going to happen. There's no reality there, but these people in the Biden administration, there are very 
very few who really make decisions based on facts. Based on facts. Wow. Voting is coming up. You heard Mike Johnson talk about it top of this first hour. Investigations going on around the nation to make sure elections and election processes are fair and everybody that should vote gets the full opportunity to vote. State governments are doing it, and that's where it's supposed to be. Federal government constitutionally is not supposed to get involved in elections. And, of course, this DOJ, it has. They're up to their eyeballs, but they're putting their finger on the scales of impartiality to get all of that to swing the way for their clients, the election companies. Here's a novel thought. You know, you shouldn't be able to vote after you die. Think about that for a second. Process that. You shouldn't be able to vote after you die. When somebody moves or dies, they should be removed from the registered voters' roll so their name can't be used to vote. In fact, the National Voter Registration Act of 1993 requires states to make a reasonable effort to remove ineligible persons from voter rolls. It's usually handled at the county or state level, but today, this morning, 33 states and Washington, D.C. are outsourcing parts of this voter's task, giving it to the Electronic Registration Information Center, E-R-I-C, that's the abbreviation. In one new report, It was put out by Verify Vote, ERIC, E-R-I-C, which says it is nonpartisan, is actually connected to the left-leaning backers and engages in a host of troubling practices that could sway elections across the nation. Verify Vote is a group of citizen volunteers with professional data research and investigation backgrounds who examine election integrity throughout the country. And many other states use ERIC, E-R-I-C. This month alone, New Jersey and Massachusetts joined. The other ERIC member states are Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, Iowa, Kentucky, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, Nevada, New Mexico, Ohio, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, Texas, Utah, Vermont, Virginia, Washington, West Virginia, and Wisconsin, and add to that Washington, D.C. In a July 13th letter, Louisiana Secretary of State Kyle Ardwan, he gave notice the state was officially dropping its ERIC membership. Now, this follows a January press release in which Ardwan announced Louisiana was suspending participation in the voter registration agreement, effectively, immediately citing concerns about questionable funding sources and the possibility of partisan actors having access to ERIC data for political purposes, potentially undermining voter confidence. David Becker, David Becker, is at the 
Center for Election Integrity and Research, C-E-I-R. He's their director and founder. He also founded and is still a board member at ERIC. He didn't want to talk. Nobody was able to get an interview with him. According to its website, CEIR's mission is to restore trust in the American election system and promote election procedures that encourage participation and ensure the election integrity and security is intact. But here's the problem. CEIR, that group, leans to the left with its assertion dismissing the election integrity concerns of many Republicans over the 2020 election. They said this, the 2020 general election was the most secure in history. It calls claims the 2020 election was fraudulent, the big lie. And the CEIR website says the majority of the GOP and Trump supporters see conspiracies, some of which American media had previously raised concerns about, assume the worst about election integrity, and are pushing harmful, unnecessary, new election laws. Now, this isn't the lawmaker speaking here. This is a CEO of that company. Now, why would a CEO of a company that is involved in marketing its goods and services, why would they come to the aid why would they write a sentence or two to go into an aid, a memo that was released by anybody on our pastoral staff and just send it and everybody else try to guess who sent it? It's hard enough like that, but it's not getting any better. Before forming Eric and CEIR, Becker was senior staff attorney at the People for the American Way and Director of Election Initiatives at Pew Charitable Trust. In 2020, CEIR got $70 million from the Zuckerberg Chan Initiative, and they distributed $64 million in grants to fund urgent voter education assistance in 23 different states. Now, what does this have to do with all of this? They've weaponized this. They've politicized this. The entire election system, I'm talking about voting machines, the internet tags that ties all of the data on these voting machines to some centralized location, it's all been compromised. Every bit of it. Every state should be forced for the protection of constitutional provisions since the people are the ones that are going to vote for whoever runs for office at the national level. The people are going to decide when they need to give input. And if they're getting responses that they they agree with from the person they're giving this to. Big brother. Do you believe there really is a big brother like that? I do. I think they're out there. I think they're lying in wait. And I mentioned this briefly on Friday's show. I feel like we Americans, and especially Christians, we're going to face assault. I believe it strongly. And it's going to come from those people that are top-down, hardcore leftists that want to totally quiet the voices of those on the right right 
because those on the right are infecting the people that they're going after on the left. Let's change gears. Let's get off that stuff. I mean, we don't want to talk about that all the time. There are other more important things to consider, like Biden's top climate change zealot, Secretary of Energy Jennifer Granholm. Over the weekend, she suggested that the forced transportation of green energy could bring about world peace of all places in all things. The latest in a long series of zany proclamations from the former Democrat governor of, of Michigan. I wonder if she and Gretchen Wimber are, are tight. Whitmer, I don't know about her. Jennifer Granholm, my, my gosh, she is a freaking airhead. No doubt about it. So during an interview on Friday, the nation's top energy official, Jennifer Granholm, used Russia's invasion of Ukraine to make her case for the abandonment of cheap, abundant, and historically reliable fossil fuels in favor of the utopian future of expensive, scarce, and unreliable clean energy sources. Using the ongoing budding flight in a land that has become a bottomless money pit to be filled by American taxpayers, Jennifer Granholm spoke in sweeping terms that green energy would bring light to the planet along with peace and harmony. I almost laugh when I, I'm going to read her quote she, she stated, and it's comical to me. Honestly, she said, the invasion by Russia is such an example of why countries need to move away from the volatility of fuels from countries who do not have our interest at heart. And from the volatility of fossil fuels, she said, if we want to be energy secure and energy independent, that means we've got to produce our own energy. My counterpart in Ireland, the energy minister there, has said that no one has ever weaponized access to the sun. No one has ever weaponized the wind. Perhaps some more to clean energy will be greatest peace plan the world has ever known. That's a novel idea. I want to say it's a, a new idea. It's not necessarily. But at least they're saying something that it seems like it just might be outside the talking points that we get slapped in the face with every day. Ex-principal known for dishonesty lands mysterious $187,000 Department of Energy grant. What could that possibly be? I mean, it's a gaggle. There are eight of those. What could it be that would make this be so stinking important? Has it changed your life? Has any of it changed your life? If it is, go for it. If it's not changing your life and you don't agree with it, speak up. That's what we have to do. This is not a good thing, folks. This is just one little, one little bitty thing. This teacher, after being convicted of car insurance fraud, accused of funneling 100000 in school funds to a vendor, and allegedly failing to safeguard 600 disappeared Department of Education computers, 
printers and laptops, a former Staten Island acting principal received something surprising from the Department of Energy, a brand new job with a great big raise and awesome health and pension funds. While school investigators noted that Onitha Swinton's pattern of dishonesty and the special commissioner of investigation for city schools recommended she be fired, the Department of Education saw fit to bestow on Swinton an unspecified place in its office of safety and youth development. The gig comes with uh, what I would call a mediocre salary, $187,000 a year, $25,000 more than she was making at Port Richmond High when she was arrested in 2018 for insurance fraud. What's more, Department of Education officials refused to release Swinton's new job title or a description of her, ju- of her duties. Why would you continue to trust her and put her in charge of any sort of student development? That's Ellen McHugh, co-president of the Citywide Council on Special Education. Who does she know? Boy, is that the salient question to ask. Who does she know? The Post first started covering the Swinton scandal back in 2017 when the interim principal was charged with six felonies and removed to a so-called disciplinary rubber room by the DOE. In December of 2018, Swinton pled guilty to registering two Lexus SUVs in Pennsylvania in an effort to skirt New York's pricey insurance rates. For her crime, she was ordered to pay $6,200 and an $800 fine and was handed three years probation. The CSI founded, uh, found that Swinton at John Jay paid a total of $100,000 in split payments, which was against purchasing rules, to Tanya John, a DOE vendor and ex-principal in the Bronx. This is according to an SCI report released to the Post under the Freedom of Information Act. The money was reportedly spent on Saturday retreats and overnight college trips, investigators say. According to the Pennsylvania Attorney General, Swinton fraudulently listed John's Pennsylvania home on her driver's license and registration. Furthermore, the SCA found that the 600 missing DOE computers disappeared after Swinton failed to inventory them while serving as principal at Brooklyn's John Jay School for Law between 2010 and 2017. It was in June of uh, 2021 that she made the move to Port Richmond as its acting principal. How do you embezzle or how do you abuse that kind of money when you're in a government job? That's what blows my mind. She was in a government job. That's not supposed to happen anywhere. But certainly, (laughs) certainly not in a job like that. How do you lose that kind of money? I don't know. You just don't. You don't even lose that. Well, we're drawing close to the end of the show. We're going to take our final break. When we come back, you you don't want to miss this. There is more craziness in the Biden administration, and it has little to do with politics. 
but it has a lot to do with money and not just any money. It has to do with the Biden administration spending your money on a non-government situation. From the From McAllen, Texas to Berlin, Germany, the universal language is truth on TNN, the Truth News Network. Hi, Tom Bodette, quote, checking in on my smartphone. Everyone's checking in nowadays at airports, restaurants, appointments with certain medical specialists. Seriously, people, TMI. Anyway, thanks to the Motel 6 mobile app, you can book a clean, comfortable room at Motel 6 on your smartphone and get a great rate. Then when you get to Motel 6, you can check in after you check in. Your friends will be totes jealous. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you. Do you mind? I was in a good place. Then the world changed. Daily uncertainties became huge struggles. I've missed so much, especially the grandkids. A lot happened to all of us. It's okay to not feel fine. Small things each day go a long way. Make time for you. Take, Take care. care. Me. Create a healthier relationship with your mind. Search Dear Mind for more. Authorised by the Queensland Government, Brisbane. Well, with uh, illegal immigration, with what's going on, yeah, we didn't get into it, but what about all that money we're sending to Ukraine? I don't ever remember the United States ever dumping the kind of money, billions of dollars, just sending it over there for them to get military aid. A bunch of it's in cash, but a bunch of it is we're sending technology and tanks and guns and other equipment. And this little ding, ding, ding goes off in my head. You know, there was... There was a whole lot of corruption that was happening regarding Ukraine. And the big guy, the big guy, who was that? It was Joe Biden. And it was Hunter Biden who was sitting on that board of Burisma Holdings, which is known to be a horrible, very polluted, very nasty oil and gas trading company in Europe and was known for its corruption. That just blows my mind. There's got to be more to that. Mike Johnson, congressman, when he was here this morning, he talked about getting in investigations and holding these people accountable. I don't know if we'll ever get to the bottom of the Biden stuff, but I hope that we will. But what about what's going on now at the Biden Beach House in Delaware? The president is in Delaware this weekend at one of his homes. It's not unusual for the president to take vacations in August. He was just in South Carolina. I recall the Obamas going to Hawaii for two weeks every, you know, around this time of year, uh, every year when they were in the White House. But something that the New York Post is reporting today is really interesting about Biden's Delaware Beach House. A security fence is being built around it. It's being funded by the Department of Homeland Security. Guess how much it costs? Guess. Almost a half a million dollars. Now, there are two things that I find ironic about this security fence. First, where I live, the police have been defunded, and it's absolute anarchy. I walk around clutching pepper spray and dodging crazy people just to get home at night. This sweeping progressive movement has made me upend my entire life to survive, and no one's worried about my security or building me a security fence. 
Biden's a sitting president. I understand there is an obligation to protect him, but generally they usually keep it much quieter than this. Now, on top of it, a security fence? Consider the words here. Consider the structure. Anyone else remember when the Dems said that the border wall wasn't, in fact, a wall, that it was a fence and that they weren't going to finish it? Well, Biden's beach house wall fence is insulting, it's hypocritical, and it's a bad look for this administration, especially at a time when he's spending money like the guy in the Monopoly box and just throwing it around all over the place. It's my money. It's your money. I think there are better things that we could be doing with it right now. Being a president isn't about living in a fancy White House and having a blank checkbook. President Biden, being president means you protect us and you're failing. And maybe that's why your poll numbers are so low. Yeah. That true thing again, it just keeps cropping up every time we think we're going to get stuff done and nobody's going to know about it, right? I don't know that we'll ever find out about the security fence either. What's it all about? And hold somebody accountable? Oh my gosh. Homeland security. Homeland security. Building a wall (laughs) in Delaware. Does that sound stupid? Thanks to Congressman Johnson coming aboard. We got a great week ahead. You have a great Monday. See you at 9 tomorrow morning at TNN Live. Can you ever plan to be a surprise? Be ready for the new and unexpected. Here
Still my 